Well, Happy New Year's Eve, church. Good to see each and every one of you. Uh, definitely a shout out to our Loudon crowd. I know we got several people here from Loudon. Good to see you all. Uh, apparently, they don't let them meet on New Year's Eve at the school they're at. So we're glad you guys are here with us today. Hey, if you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to open to Ephesians 6 today. Ephesians 6. In a minute, we're going to look at a message called the call to battle. Now, that might help justify the loud shirt I'm wearing. I'm sure there are questions. You're like, this is not the normal attire of our pastor. But as I was thinking about this message, I thought I would wear my son's shirt that he gave me several years ago for Father's Day. And for me, yeah, of course, there's the classic, you know, maybe Guns N' Roses is what you see, or Tough and Tender, or Grace and Grit. But actually, one of the teenagers in The Rock gave me the best description yet, and it's fitting for our message today. I asked him, and it was a young lady, and she said, that reminds me of War and Peace. And I was like, ooh, that'll preach. That's deep. So <clears throat> here we are, thanks to a teenager. I was inspired. Now, <clears throat> on all seriousness, um, it really is a joy here to preach, and I've spent a lot of time praying on what to share with you for this New Year's. So with that, let me remind you that many years ago, I had the privilege to check into that first SEAL team. And I can't really tell you much about my greeting because we're in church. But let's just say they were extra special to new guys, and I definitely felt welcomed. But along the way, I also learned a few things when I served in the teams. One was that they took very serious preparation for war. So much so that we had signs throughout the command. Uh, one of them that was just left an indelible mark on my heart was a big wooden sign before we walked out into the compound where we would meet. And it said this, are you ready for war? Simple statement, but it was a reminder for each and every operator there that just because you were ready for war in the past does not mean you're ready for war today. And so there's this constant charge for us to be ready for combat. And so that's why we trained hard. And that's basically where the phrase comes if you sweat more in peacetime, you will be less in war. And so we took very serious. And so we were always training for war. But as I was thinking about and preparing for this message, I thought this question is actually very applicable for the church today. So I will ask you, church, for every follower of Christ, are you ready for war? Because if you're not, you should be. And here's a newsflash. Every one of you are on the battlefield. And so my quest for 24 is to equip each and every one of you for war. And we're going to unpack this from Ephesians 6. And as I was praying over it, I thought, all right, what and how do you want me to lead the church? There's so many unknowns. We don't know about this building. We don't know about this land. We don't know about all these other things. And you know what? I kind of came to the conclusion, so what? In the end, I know Matthew 22, I'm supposed to love God and love others. And I know as a pastor, my job is to equip each and every saint for battle. And so that's where we're about today. Specifically, I desire to equip this church to repel and respond to the enemy and their attacks around us. Now, I have seen poorly trained troops in conflicts, and it's nothing short of a disaster to see their performance in the field. And so my desire is to equip each one of you. Now, if you knew you were going to war, I would like to think that you would probably want the best equipment and the best training so that you would have the best success on target when you go downrange and you're on those battlefields. And so to me, I think it's very important that each one of you hear me when I say you are at war. Whether you think so or not, you are on the battlefield. Each and every one of you are at war from the very youngest to the very oldest, to the Christian, to those still exploring Christianity, to the staunchest atheist. You are at war. But here's another update. <clears throat> there are casualties all around us. Men and women, boys and girls are falling each and every moment while we delay to decide whether or not we should be on the battlefield. So today, I want to challenge you with this passage from Ephesians 6. It's the longest passage in the Bible on spiritual warfare. These 11 verses are solid gold, and it will take a lot of time to unpack it, and we're going to do a very high-level survey the reason I say high-level survey is because in my studies, just one book alone from a 17th century Puritan, he wrote 1,200 pages just on these 11 verses. And then a pastor from the 70s wrote a 700-page, uh, two-volume set just on the armor of God. 
And so to say that there's a lot of information, so much so that we could preach on the entire year of 24, just on the armor of God and fleshing out these 11 verses. But in the short amount of time we have, we're going to do a survey. So rather than talk about it, let's look at the word of God and let it instruct us now. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. And remember, as always, this is the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil days. And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints." And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather today on the threshold of a new year, we come before you with hearts open and spirits willing to receive your word. And we thank you for bringing us safely through another year and for the promise of your presence in the year to come. Father, as we turn our attention to your passage in Ephesians 6, where Paul teaches us about the full armor of God, in these words, we find guidance for how to equip ourselves for the spiritual battles we face daily. And as we reflect on this passage, help us to understand the depth and the breadth of your wisdom. Teach us to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the gospel of peace. And may we take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is your word. Father, we acknowledge that our strength comes not from ourselves, but from you. In a world that often feels chaotic and fraught with challenges, remind us that we are not alone. Your power and might are our fortress and shield. And as we step into the new year, let us do so with courage and faith, fully equipped and ready for whatever lies ahead. Father, guide us through this service, and may our hearts and minds be open to the teachings you have for us today. Let your Holy Spirit move among us, encouraging, convicting, and empowering us to be your faithful warriors in the world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. All right. So again, as a reminder, the message is called The Call to Battle. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Now in framing our passage, I'm going to give you three points that will help guide our time together. Don't get hung up on the names. They're just something for hand, handrails to help you navigate along. And so the first one is the exhortation in verses 10 through 13. We'll talk about and then we'll examine the equipment in verses 14 through 17. And in closing, we'll look at the entreaty in verses 18 through 20. All right. The exhortation. We just read verses 10 through 13. But look at verse 10. It says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Now, I like to ask questions when I read God's word. And so one of the questions that I was asking when I read this is, and again, it's probably a rhetorical. We know the answer, but why do we need God's strength? As I examine my own life, I will tell you it's because I am weak. I need the Lord's strength. I cannot do hardly anything on my own. I desperately need God and his strength. And so we need to do a self-assessment and realize at the end of the day, we are helpless babes, especially in spiritual warfare, and we cannot do anything without God's help. So we need to rely on God's strength. A wonderful example from scripture is Gideon. Now Gideon, if you're not familiar with his story, he was charged to go to war. And so God said, pick your soldiers. And he started off, he had 32,000, not a bad force to go into combat with. But God said, that's too many for people will think that you actually did it in your own strength. So whittle it down a little bit. So he went from 32,000 to 10,000. And God was like, that's still too big. And so on and on the tests go until Gideon eventually lines up 300 men. And God said, that'll do. And those 300 men go to war, but they don't go to war with conventional weapons. Instead, they go to war with the strength of the Lord, and God fought for them. So it's a beautiful example from Scripture. I also want to give you an example from real life. So I'm going to ask a very brave father and son to come up here and help me in a demonstration. So let's give them a hand as they come up here. Come on up, big guy. 
It's his big debut. He's ready. All right, come on over here. You stand right there for me in the light. I want people to be able to see you and dad. All right. So we talked briefly backstage. And I told you you were going to hold a blue bucket, didn't I? So you want to hold that blue bucket for everybody? Go ahead and grab the handle for me. Not too heavy, right? Not too bad. But let's say life gets hard. And let's say, I don't know, you get older and you go to school. And then more troubles, right? Ooh. Wow, that was kind of heavy. Hold on tight now. Two hands. Yeah, two hands. But you know what? I don't know. I'm feeling generous. Let's say, I don't know, dad in his 20s, he gets married. I don't know. This is what maybe marriage feels like. What do you think? You ready? Oh, now you're married. Oh, but let's say children get in the mix. You might want to move that away from your toes. Ready? Oh, now let me ask you a question. Does this feel pretty heavy to carry over to that black post for? Can you carry it? <laughs> now that's all right if you can't. What could you do? What resource do you have in your life when something's too heavy to lift? Who could you ask in your family for help? Now this is a good illustration of what all of us are like, right? <laughs> we have a great resource that's ready to help us. And yet, this wasn't scripted, but it's perfect. I don't know. I, I, you seem to be a hard one to convince. So let's round up. Now dad's worried. All right. What do you think? Are you ready for help? Yeah, he's ready for help. Dad, would you help him move that big bucket, bucket together all the way to that black post? Now lift with your legs, dad. <laughs> There you go. Look, that can help you. Give him a hand, folks. Look at him go. All right. That'll work. Fe perfect, fellas. All right. Thank you, guys. That worked out better than I planned. All right. Isn't that true to life? I have been that kid trying to pick up a bucket my whole life. And occasionally, I'm like, oh, I have a much greater resource in my life called God. I could actually ask him for help. So let that be a lesson for each and every one of us. Now, in verse 11, we learn that we're to put on the whole armor of God. Just like the strength is God's, so is the armor. The second part of the verse tells us more on why we are to put on the armor of God. So that we might stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, stand is so important. When we study the Bible, we're taught that when things are repeated, they're important. Now, in this short passage, the word stand is used four times. So God is trying to tell us something here that standing is really important, especially on the battlefield. Now I will tell you, having been on battlefields through four decades, that standing is very important for if you fall on a battlefield where there are multiple enemy combatants around, you're most likely going to be injured and perish because you're very vulnerable on the ground. So we want to stand on our feet so that we can fight properly. So it's very important. But what are we standing up against? Well, the Bible tells us we're standing against the schemes of the devil. And we had better rely on the Lord's strength when dealing with the schemes of the devil. The very best representation of humanity failed in the garden. If Adam and Eve could not deal with the devil, then certainly neither can we on our own strength. But we have a resource that we can ask for help. We can not only ask for God's strength, but we can also ask for the entire armor of God. Now, I remember years ago, my son Brock and I had a little rite of passage talk in Kodiak, Alaska. And so we're sitting up there. He's 13, and we're talking about life and stuff. But then I painted a scenario for him as we were talking about the devil and who our real enemy was in life. I said, son, I'm about a quarter century older than you, and I certainly have at least 20 years combat experience on you that you don't have at 13. What do you think the odds are that if you and I go into the woods that you would survive if I was the person you had to fight? And being a teenager, he kind of sized me up to consider his options. But eventually, he came to the right conclusion that he would have no chance at all. At 13, he would not be able to do well against me with my experience, just 25 years older than him. Now, what about each one of us as we deal with an enemy who's thousands of years old, who's a genius, master tactician, knows everything that makes you tick, makes you cry, makes you sad, makes you happy, studies each and every one of us on how
to derail us? How much more do we need the strength of the Lord? How much more do we need the whole armor of God? In the military, intelligence can be very important. Accurate intel can help you understand your adversary. Verse 12 is an important reminder of who the enemy is. Often one of the greatest deceptions of the forces of darkness is to convince people that other people are the enemy. And I'm here to tell you as believers, people are not who we're fighting against. We are fighting against all these unseen evil forces. This is vital to understand. Think of how this knowledge can change how one operates with their worldview. Think about how you would grow up knowing that you're a child of God, that you can have the strength of the Lord. Think how you could grow up putting on the whole armor of God. Think about what dating would look like from this perspective, or marriage, or parenting, or all the other crazy things that we go through in life. Knowing that you're a child of God and knowing that you have God's strength. Incredible. Theologian Stoke rightly said, beneath the surface, an unseen spiritual battle is raging. The word wrestle is only used here in the New Testament. It's a picture of hand-to-hand -hand combat, up close and personal. And isn't that a fair description of what you and I go through when we go through personal struggles? They are up close and personal. They hurt, right? Each and every one of us go through struggles that hurt, and we're desperately in need of the Lord's strength and the whole armor. When Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, what he means is that we not only wrestle with flesh and blood, but against this massive list of evil that's listed in verse 12. And I share this to state the obvious, that in life, we're going to deal with flesh and blood, and we're going to deal with spiritual opposition. Now, I want to put a caution out there. Sometimes believers in the church spend way too much time studying about the devil and his minions. In fact, I would say they can get so caught up on it that it's almost uh, idolatry and passion. They start studying to the extreme. All I know is we're supposed to be aware of who our enemy is, respect the fact that he is definitely more capable than us, but also understand that he's defeated and that we can go to our Savior to deal with him. So it's so important that we know this and we take it serious. Even the archangel Michael did not deal loosely with the devil and treated him with great respect on his dealings with him. So if the most powerful angel that we know of from the Bible deals with the devil very carefully, how much more so should each one of us? 1 Peter 5, 8 reminds us how the devil works. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And history has shown me a few ways that Satan attacks. Consider this short list. When the Christian is newly converted, oftentimes the devil's going to attack you then because you just learned the promises of God and that you're saved, but you're still a little unsure about all the other Bible jargon and church words. You're still figuring things out, and the devil's going to slip in there and start challenging everything you just learned. How about when the Christian is afflicted? How many of you have gone through physical struggles, spiritual struggles, and you've heard that little voice whispering in you, you're not worthy, you're no good, no one loves you, no one cares about you. That's not coming from God. That's coming from the evil one. When the Christian has achieved some success, if you're not careful and you don't have a relief valve on the side of your head, you might actually get a little boastful and pride will creep up and change your personality. The devil loves for us to be very boastful and proud. What about when the Christian is idle? Now, this is a little more sobering for me Having spent almost four decades leading and serving with men, men, I will tell you that when you have a job to do, you work hard, you provide, you protect, you do all the things you're supposed to be doing. But what I've learned, and this is also self-accusation here, when we are idle and we don't have anything going on, we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble. We actually need a mission, men, and we need a purpose. The Bible makes it very clear what we're about to be doing, and that is proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and certainly doing our best to love God and love others. But when we're idle and we have that spare time, men get themselves in trouble. And then certainly don't just pull yourself out of this equation at all, ladies. But I've just learned, and I have much more experience dealing with men, that when we have free time, we can get ourselves in a pickle. So we want to stay diligent and disciplined. So that's definitely something near and dear to my heart. When the Christian is isolated from biblical community, so many of you are trying to do this walk with God by yourself. And nowhere in scripture does it tell you to do that. We are supposed to do all these 59 one another's listed in the New Testament together. 
believe it or not, it's really hard to do the one another's by yourself. Matter of fact, my wife knows this. If I could have found a chapter and verse that said, you should fly fish in Kodiak, Alaska and ignore people, I probably would have been obedient, right? But I couldn't find that verse. Instead, we're supposed to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor like ourselves. So that's why I'm here, because that's what I want to do. I want to be obedient to the Lord's calling. Now, believe it or not, the devil's not going to leave you alone. He's actually going to attack you even at the point where you're dying. Now, here's a sobering stat. I've shared it before, but it's worth repeating, especially upon New Year. Did you know that one out of one die? Right? It's true. And yet, a lot of us carry on like that's not a truth. We think, oh, that doesn't really apply to me. Now, that's putting your head way down in the sand, isn't it? One day, each and every one of us are going to stand before the Lord. So, in other words, the evil one is going to attack us until the day we die or until the day the Lord brings us home uh, and meet him in the sky. But what I'm thankful about is that through all these struggles with the devil, we have a promise from James 4, 7. Listen to it. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 13 repeats what we've learned so far, and apparently it's very important to put on the whole armor of God, for Paul repeats it shortly after he just said it. And so we want to make sure that we put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand. Now, imagine a book written by the creator of the universe. I'm sure you could guess what it is. And imagine that this book actually has a plan on how to equip you and to train you for battle. And imagine this same book tells you that you are going to go on the battlefield. Wouldn't you want to know what the creator of the universe has for you to prepare you before you go into the battle? I would think most of you would want to be prepared. And so rather than talk about it, let's examine the equipment from the next few verses to see how we can equip ourselves for this battle. Second point, the equipment. Look at verse 14. This is one of the three imperatives in this passage. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now the pieces of armor are self-explanatory, but I do want to share a few things that may not be obvious about each one. It's also worth noting that each item could merit a message completely on its own. So look at the belt of truth briefly. The Romans, boys and girls, had robes. So even the soldiers wore tunics and these long robes. But they also had these big, heavy leather belts. And before they would go into battle, they would cinch up their robes so they wouldn't trip over all that material. So they would crank down that belt that not only held the armor in place, but it also kept the robes from their feet so they would not trip. And speaking of truth... Jesus reminds us of what truth is and who truth is in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Truth is always the foundation we want to build our lives upon. When we rise, let's make sure we put on the belt of truth. Second piece, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate protects vital organs. Early on in my career in the 80s and early 90s, Believe it or not, we did not wear body armor. And that's because all the old guys are like, ah, we don't need no body armor. But you know, something happens when you start getting shot at on a regular basis. Whether old guys tell you to wear body armor or not, you think, you know, body armor would be a really good idea. And I think maybe we should even have a helmet to protect us. And so we start petitioning for these things. And next thing you know, for the next 20 years of my career, I didn't go anywhere without body armor and a ballistic helmet and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so... The reason we wear such things is it protects us. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.21 and how this ties in biblically. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you realize if you are a child of God, our Heavenly Father looks upon you and sees Christ's righteousness? He doesn't see you and all the baggage that you're dealing with. He sees you through the blood of his Son. That's why we're accepted. That's why we're justified. And I've shared this before with you, but it's so important. Did you realize if you're a child of God, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ at any moment in your life, on that day, you were justified before the Lord. So much so that you will never be more justified even when you're in heaven, standing before the Lord himself. You will never be more justified than the day you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? That is great news. And we, to me, I would say, 
it's such an incredible gift that it's almost absurd that we benefit from all these wonderful things that Christ did for us. Now, without understanding what truth is, we'll be prone to legalism and impressing God with good deeds. Or we can swing the other way on the pendulum and we can start putting ourselves down with self-condemnation. So that's why Romans 8 verse 1 is so important for every believer to hear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Gospel shoes. Feet are important. I have seen the strongest men fall when training and in combat because they have poor footwear or they haven't taken care of their feet. Uh, extremely challenging things can happen. And as long as wars have been recorded, troops on land and sea have had issues with their feet. Something that I studied in medicine, it's called trench foot and immersion foot. Same disease, different location. Trench foot because soldiers were pinned in wet, uh, flooded trenches, and immersion foot for those sailors that were shipwrecked and in those rafts for days and days uh, with their feet soaking in water. I used to work with some color sergeants that were uh, with the SAS, and they were in uh, the Falkland Islands. And they said they actually had to put suicide watch on some of their guys because the gangrene had set in so much from the trench foot that guys were experiencing electrical shock every second or two and they wanted to kill themselves because the pain was that intense. Now these are hardened warriors and so it must be severe pain that they were going through. So it's so important that we take care of our feet. Now when you think about the Romans and their footwear, think about modern-day football cleats. These guys, boys and girls, had spikes, nails in their shoes so that when they stood on the ground in battle, they were less apt to slip because they knew if they were to go to the ground, they would most likely be injured or die. Now, there's something else that's very interesting about these battles and when you think about the gospel of peace and this good news. In ancient times, when there was a battle taking place, say in a valley, both sides had lookouts in their hometowns waiting for messengers to run with the news on whether or not they won the battle or not. But here's the deal. The lookouts could actually predict with great accuracy what the news was just by how the messenger arrived. For you see, if it was good news, the messenger was running, almost skipping, so excited to let people know we've won the battle, we're going to be okay. But if the messenger was dragging his feet, kind of moping, and walking into that town, then you knew it was bad news. You know why it was bad news? Because the messenger in ancient times usually was killed if it was bad news. So that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Congratulations, John, you're a messenger. Oh, we lost, so it's your, it's your turn to go to town. Like, probably going to slink in a little slow, like, wow, waiting to die, waiting to die, right? And so very sobering for these messengers. But they could tell whether or not the messenger was bringing good news. Think about the last part in this verse, the gospel of peace. Did you realize to have this peace, you first need peace with God that we learned from Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first step. Then and only then can we have the peace with God. Think about it. Only possible experience with the peace of God is found in Philippians 4.7 once we have peace with God. Philippians 4, 7 says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now we think about Jesus and the strength that he displays, and we're asking for his strength and to put on the whole armor. Isn't it one of the greatest paradoxes when you think about Jesus going to the cross? Now from the world's perspective, Jesus looked weak. He's going to the cross and he's going to be killed. But isn't that one of the greatest displays of strength? Not only did he go there to die physically, but think about the burden of sin that each one of you feel just in your own life. I know the shame and the guilt I feel for my own sin. Now imagine and compound that to where every man, woman, boy, and girl, every sin of past, present, and future was placed upon Jesus Christ. It must have been crushing. And yet he went there willingly to show that great strength. And this is the exciting part. If you're visiting today or if you're listening online, do you realize that God created you to be with him? He loves you so much. And he desires to have a relationship with you. 
And we know, we've talked about this over and over, that the Bible makes it clear our sin separates us from a holy God. And we can't earn our way to heaven as much as we'd like to think we could. There's nothing in scripture that shows that. But that's why God sent his son Jesus. But he didn't just die on that cross. And he didn't just stay in that grave for three days. Instead, he was raised from the dead. And the best news of all is that every man and woman, boy and girl that places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they can have eternal life and it can begin today. What a great way to start a new year. If you were exploring Christianity, may today be the day you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, boys and girls, look at this picture. There are examples of two different types of shields that the Romans would carry. There's a small circular shield that all of them had, and the general riding by is displaying that circular shield. But what the Bible's talking about here specifically in this verse are the big tank shields that they're wearing in battle. Now, these shields were four foot tall, two and a half feet wide, multiple layers thick with canvas and metal bound together and wrapped with metal. They're extremely heavy. They would even soak them before combat to help extinguish those fiery darts and fiery arrows from the opponents. And so these are these shields. And what's cool about this shield is not only does it protect you, but if you know how to use it properly, you can protect the soldier on your left and your right. How much more that we could do, not only protecting ourselves on the battlefield, but protecting our brothers and sisters that are there with us. One historian said, shields bristle with smoking arrows like roasted porcupines. That's what they look like on the battlefield. That's a pretty good visual. I can see that one. Makes me wonder too what the Apostle Paul's spiritual shield must have looked like. Probably like one of the movie scenes where he was constantly taking his sword and just cutting arrows off, right? It was probably like just smoking uh, his whole life, just on fire from all the darts that he was receiving. Pretty cool. Like the word wrestle, here too the word shield is only used once in the New Testament. The shield of faith is important. When I was younger, I was taught an acrostic for faith that says, faith means this, forsaking all, I trust him, him being Jesus Christ. That's what faith is all about. It's not trusting in yourself, not trusting in your money, not trusting in any other thing to save you but Jesus Christ. When those arrows start flying, it's good to know who to place your faith and trust in. The Apostle Paul knew something about attacks. 2 Corinthians 4, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Men, look at this next picture. What would it look like if men in the church stopped following the world and start studying the word? What would it look like for men to stay when things get hard? What would it look like instead of a man chasing all these sinful desires and all the things and the trappings of the world and instead invested his life to protect his family, to be this man right here, to not only use a shield, but to take arrows, to protect those children, to protect the next generation. What would it be like if the men in this church stood in the gap to protect the next generation, to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. I think it can make a huge impact in our local area. And who knows how it can impact the rest of the world. But we need men to step up. And certainly this applies to ladies too. But the Bible makes it very clear, men, that we are to lead our families. And we are to set the example. Which leads us to the helmet of salvation. Now obviously a helmet is very important to protect your head. I and other teammates have been saved by helmets multiple times, and I could bore you to death with stories of helmets I broke and destroyed, but they end up saving my noggin, sort of. And so, very thankful for that. But Paul may have been looking at one of the guards while writing this and thinking about all these pieces of armor, or the Holy Spirit might have turned his heart back to what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 59. Look what he said. He, being God, put on the righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Either way, Paul is definitely instructing us on the importance of a helmet. Having assurance of salvation is one of the greatest gifts God's children can have. The problem is many people don't know about this assurance, and many men and women go through their life having doubts, some of them their entire life, on whether or not they're a child of God. And this is exactly where the devil wants you. Do you realize, and I've shared this with you before, that if you have a hope-so or a think-so kind of salvation, 
You're like the blue grenade on the battlefield. You're inert. There's no power. There's no harumph because you don't even know if you're a child of God. But once you understand who you are in Christ, you're no longer inert. You know there is nothing, nothing that can take you away from him. And then turn that person loose on the battlefield because they are preaching and teaching and sharing with confidence the word of God. The Bible reminds us in 1 John 5, 13, a phenomenal promise. If you have doubts today, look at this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I have shared this verse numerous times in hospice visits, and I will look at a woman or a man, and I will say, do you know? And I was like, we'll read this verse. And I'm like, well, I hope so, Pastor. I'm like, let's read it again. And then we'll look at it. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know? I'm like, well, then we read it again. Sometimes I've read it five, six, seven times. And then they're like, I know. I know I'm a child of God. Instead of trusting on your fickle emotions for your security, I would encourage you, trust the promises of God. Now, apparently doubt has been around for a few thousand years. Even the early Christians had doubts. So every one of us, it's natural to have doubts. But at some point, you need to shore those up with the word of God. And as we leave the armor and head to the weapon given to us, know that proper training in the use of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, will only help with your assurance, knowing that you are a follower of Christ. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. Consider abbreviated list of just a few things it is. The sword of the spirit is compelling. The sword of the spirit is convicting. The sword of the spirit is converting. And the sword of the spirit is consoling. How many of us have been consoled by the word of God in times of sorrow? I know I have. And certainly it's a comfort to pray God's word in those difficult moments. The Bible can only be these things if you know the word of God for yourself. I'm reminded of museums with ancient swords on display. Now, if they're placed in glass, they're going to look really nice. But if they're just hanging on the wall, they typically gather dust. And as I think about those beautiful swords that are gathering dust, they remind me of many homes that have a big family Bible that's doing the exact same thing. It's sitting there in the house. No one's studying it. No one's using it. And it's gathering dust. It's a relic, right? It's this ancient thing that people don't even know how to use. And that's sad because it's just as powerful today as it was when it was originally written. Church, we don't want our swords collecting dust. We want the sword to conquer dominions held by the evil one. As we approach the new year, please consider starting or continuing your Bible reading plan. You can use ours on the website or any other one, but the key is to be in the word. Now, I had a good friend that I worked for in the military and he was a world champion in rowing. And he rowed at the Naval Academy. And I asked him, I said, hey, brother, what is the secret? Because my kids were rowing. And I was like, I want to be able to give them some tips. He goes, it's pretty easy. Our coach believed in the three R's. I was like, all right, what are they? I'm going to take notes. He goes, you won't need to take notes. Just this is what they are. Uh, row, row, and row. And you'll be really good at rowing. I was like, roger that. Now, this is a guy that won national championships. So he knew a little bit about rowing. But as I was thinking about this, you know, the same thing applies to studying the Bible. A lot of times people are looking for some kind of angle or shortcut. And I'm like, there is no shortcut. It's called sweat equity. You need to spend time in the Word. You need to study it. But let me give you four methods to start your journey in sword training. One, as we discussed, you need to read the Word of God. And let me encourage you to have some type of form of journaling and capturing what you're learning from the Word of God. Now, I used to be like you, and I would roll my eyes when old pastors and teachers were like, it's important to take notes when you read the Bible. It's important to journal. And I was like, ah, these old guys. But eventually, it kind of stuck. And I was like, you know, these guys seem like they're walking with the Lord, and they're learning a lot. Maybe I should start journaling. And next thing you know, I start writing stuff down. I'm like, huh, I think I'm learning more, and I can go back. Now, let's say that you're just like, I'm just not into it. Then do it for the next generation. Journal and write down what you're learning from the Word of God for those children and grandchildren and beyond. Maybe you don't even have a family. Journal for others so that you can teach what God has taught you. It's so powerful. And then we want to meditate on it. We don't only just read the Word of God, but we want to meditate on it. Take it with you as you go to work and think about those principles and those promises that God has taught you. And then, and this is the part we're all scared of, memorize it. Now, People will ask me, what's the best weapon to have in war? I'm like, the one that you have on you, right? 
If you're at war, the best weapon to have is the one you got on you. If you don't have one on you, you're in trouble. Now, when we study the word of God and we memorize it, we have the word on us, right? If you don't know God's word and you haven't memorized God's word, it's going to be hard to use in battle. And we don't always have a hardback copy with us or that electronic version that so many of us are good at now, right? You might actually need to know God's word on your own. And then lastly, we need to study it. We actually need to study it. Now, we're going to offer classes for children and adults just like we did last year. We're going to teach inductive Bible study where you'll learn how to observe Scripture, how to interpret Scripture, and how to apply Scripture. And it is so important. Now, the master class on using the Word of God was done by Jesus himself in Matthew 4 when he battled Satan. If any example is given to us that we need to pay attention to, it's this. Think about it. The Son of God, sinless, perfect, knew the Word, memorized the Word, and how did he fight Satan? By quoting the word of God. So if God Almighty used the word to, to battle Satan, how much more do we need to use the word of God in that same fight? So what can we learn from this? That we desperately need the word. Desperately need the word. And we want to follow Jesus' example. This brings us to our last point, the entreaty. And again, this is the plea. Look at Paul's prayer here. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Four times that word all is used there. And also for me that the words may be given to me, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, every warrior knows the importance of communications. We are taught when we're brand new that you need primary, secondary, and tertiary comms, and a loss of comm plan. Because without communication, you're in a big world of hurt. Prayer is the communication for believers to talk to heaven. And yet so many believers do not take advantage of this wonderful gift that was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And yet every child of God has access to his heavenly father. Notice the four alls, like I mentioned earlier, praying at all times in the Spirit, all times in Spirit-led. One of the best ways to let the Spirit lead your prayer life is by opening up the Word of God. I'll just tell you what I've learned over the years is that I will have a very simple prayer in the morning, and I'll ask God to instruct me from His Word. But then as I open up the Word, I let those passages that day guide my prayer time. It doesn't mean that I don't jump off and pray for family and all the other things. But as I'm looking at the word, I'm like, I'm praying that directly over myself and others. And you can never go wrong praying the word of God. And then this is the greatest privilege along with all prayer and supplication and keep it alert with all perseverance. We know we got to stay alert. We have a real enemy, but making supplication for all the saints. This is one of the greatest privileges we have as believers that not only we get to pray for ourselves, but that we get to pray for others. I will share with you, and I've shared publicly when I preached at Tyson's a few years ago, it was a week after our granddaughter was diagnosed with leukemia. And I will tell you, it was devastating for our family. It was an extremely hard season. But one of the prayer requests that I received moved me in such a way I'll never forget the words. Elder Wade at the time wrote me and he said, Brother Todd, I will give God no rest on behalf of Riley. Now, if I were to say that again, I'd cry. But it's just one of those things that was so impactful. But that's the privilege that we have. We can go before the Lord on behalf of others and give him no rest and pray and pray and never give up. It's so important. But let me give you a caution. And this is something I've learned the hard way. Please don't let your prayers become to-do lists for the creator of the universe. I say that because when I analyze my prayer sometimes, it's almost like I'm giving God things to do before I go to sleep or when I wake up. Like, all right, you know, I got a busy day, so this is what I need you to do. It's like, who am I talking to? So look at your prayer life. Is it a to-do list or is it worship? Now, like many other topics, there'll be future training on prayer as well. So much so that we're going to have 21 days of prayer in January. And I highly encourage you, if you do not subscribe to our e-news, please subscribe. Not only will you see the weekly devotions where I'm writing to encourage you as the church, but also you're going to see all the other things coming up, including training, uh, myself, and Pastor Keith, and others. We're going to be doing weekly podcasts to equip you as the church. We've already got all our topics lined up. We're taking very serious the responsibility to equip you for battle. And you're going to hear over and over from me, are you battle ready? 
Because if you're not, then we need to get you battle ready. Because the battle's raging on whether you like it or not. Now, in closing of this letter, notice Paul doesn't ask the church to pray for his release from prison, but instead asks that he might be bold in sharing the gospel. Now, what can we learn from this? I mean, here's a man that's been beaten to an inch of death multiple times, shipwrecked, and multiple things uh, that were just huge amounts of adversity. And yet he's not praying, hey, bust me out of here. The, this one guard is like, he's a little slow and like he's trying to come up with this scenario. He's like, man, I want to preach the gospel boldly wherever God has me. One example for each one of us. But if Paul, who's demonstrated a life of being bold, is praying for boldness, how much more do we need to pray for one another? Please pray for me that I will be bold and represent the Lord. Now, church, I know this is a very high-level overview. There's massive amounts of information written about this. But in 24, I do want you to be battle-ready. It'll take time, like any good training does, but it'll be so worth it so that you can do well on the battlefield representing your Lord and Savior. But there's one other thing I'm going to be asking you on a regular basis. And that is, do you have a battle buddy? And we're just going to use that language. And what that means is, do you have someone discipling you? Are you discipling somebody and is somebody discipling you? Because in the military, we're taught never to go anywhere on the battlefield by yourself. You always have a battle buddy, a shooting partner. You always have that person with you. Now, men and women vary on this. And I will say, ladies, you do a much better job at having friends, friends that you can actually trust and share very meaningful things with. Men, not so much. We're all kind of stubborn, aren't we? We've got our arms crossed. And we're like, I can do it by myself. I don't need any battle, buddy. Think of this young man. Didn't need a battle, buddy. He had a giant battle, buddy, right beside him, right? He's like, I got this. I can do it on my own. Isn't that a picture of most men, myself included? We need battle buddies, fellows. We need someone to hold us accountable. So important. So along with equipping each of you in 24, I'll be praying and encouraging each one of you, not only to have a battle buddy, but to also get in a church group. Those one another's that we're talking about, you can't do them alone. It is so important that each and every one of you get in a church group so that you can have other believers circle around you and pray for you and care for you. All right. Now, many of you know who John Bunyan is and that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress in prison many years ago. Phenomenal work. I'll say it's a little... Um, uh, challenging to read. Uh, even the kid version can challenge you a little bit. I remember reading the kid version on my way to Ethiopia one time, and even that was quite an academic challenge for me. But you may not know that he wrote another book in prison called The Holy War. This is what he said. Every believer is a warrior. Now, some of you might not think of yourself as a warrior. But biblically, you are, because you're at war, and you're on the battlefield. So that makes you a warrior. Now, whether you're a good one or not, Kind of on you on whether or not you're getting equipped and ready for battle, right? But as a church, certainly review 23 in your own life. But let me encourage you to come up with a plan for yourself and for your family, if you have one, to be battle ready. We are at war, and war is our occupation as the church. And remember, we are at not at war with each other. We are at war with evil forces. Don't forget and don't fall prey to the schemes of the devil where he tries to deceive you to make you think that another person is your enemy. When in fact, the puppet moving the strings behind the, the scene there, right, is uh, the great evil one himself. So be aware. Now, when I first arrived here at PW many years ago, I gave you an illustration of the modern church in America. And what most churches are like in America is they operate like a cruise ship. And what I mean by that is, it's this big fancy place where you get to show up and the staff will give you drinks and they'll feed you and they'll care for you and there's entertainment and you walk away and you're like, what a great experience. That was a cruise ship, right? That's the church in America. But biblically, the church in America is supposed to be a battleship. And my job and the staff's job in a church is to equip you for war. So my question is, are you ready for war? if you're not, you should be. And if you need help, that's why I'm here. That's why other ministry leaders are here. Challenge us and allow us to equip you so that you can be on the battlefield. The call to battle has been given. And I will tell you, if you're watching a show 
and we'll just pick on my old profession. And you saw 16 seals gather in a tent and they just received intel on the enemy and they're getting ready to go fight him. And you see four of them jocking up with their body armor, grabbing their weapons and loading their kid up. They run out to the helicopter and the other 12 watch. As you're watching this movie, you're like, it sure seems like they'd do better on the battlefield if all 16 went to war, but only four went. In some ways, that's a picture of the church. And that's being a generous picture. Roughly, churches in America, about 10% serve and are doing something besides warming a chair on Sunday morning. What would it look like if this church had everybody participating on the battlefield? What if people were coming here and like, actually, we don't need you to volunteer today. We're like maxed out. We got so many men and women watching children. Like, thanks for showing up, but we're good. Like, what would it look like? Think of how many more children we could have here. Because believe it or not, we have safety ratios here, right? I want to keep children safe. But I can only do that if you volunteer. So if you want to see children flourish, I need you to step up. And on and on the list goes. And this isn't to badger or to berate you, but it's to remind you, I need you on the battlefield. I simply cannot do it by myself. And God wants you on the battlefield. And each one of you have been given gifts and you have been prepared for such the occasion. And my hope and my prayer is that we will press on to victory because we've already got it because we're in the Lord. The battle's been won. It's pretty much a mop-up operation at this point. And so we need to be faithful and do exactly what God has called us to do. Until he brings us home or he returns, may we be faithful. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we close this gathering, our hearts are filled with your word and our spirits strengthened by your presence. And we thank you for the wisdom imparted through the message of Ephesians 6 and a reminder of the spiritual armor that you provide for the battle we face. So, Father, as we prepare to depart and step into the world in this new year, we ask for your guidance and strength to live out the charge to be battle ready. May the belt of truth always secure our commitment to your word and the breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts from the snares of the world. Let our feet be firmly shod with the readiness given by the gospel of peace so that we may walk in your ways and bring your peace to others. And we pray for the shield of faith to guard us against the fiery darts of the enemy and for the helmet of salvation to keep our minds focused on your eternal promises. Equip us, Father, with the sword of the Spirit, which is your word, so we may confidently and effectively counter the challenges and temptations we face. Father, empower us through prayer and perseverance. Let us be vigilant, always praying for all the saints and for the courage to speak boldly as we ought to speak. May we support one another in this spiritual journey, unified in our purpose and steadfast in our faith. And Father, as we leave this place, we carry with us the responsibility to live as your ambassadors, embodying the love, strength, and grace you have bestowed upon us. Father, help us to be vigilant, wise, and compassionate, shining your light in every corner of our lives. Father, send us to go forth with resolve to be battle ready for your glory in each and every day you give us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And the church said,